and a big warm welcome to Be A Bigger Fish. I'm Debbie Aurelius and I'm the host of this podcast. This is a brilliant conversation I recorded with Satnam Kaur, who's Head of Internal Comms at the Priory Group, and Advita Patel, who's the Director of Comms Rebel and the Chair of CIPR Inside. We recorded the conversation at the height of the lockdown in the UK, where we were practicing social distancing in order to stop the spread of the coronavirus, COVID-19. And you really get a sense of the immediacy of the situations we were dealing with in our internal communications practice at the time. But this captures so much more and there are some timeless pieces of advice here about how to communicate with a remote workforce, including how to help your line managers communicate more effectively, even when they have to deal with the most difficult of subjects. We also talk about how to keep demonstrating that we care for our teams and how to make sure that we replace some of those touch points of human connection that come so easily to us when we meet face to face, but when we need to communicate remotely. I really hope you enjoy this episode and that you pick up some tips and techniques from both Satnam and Advita. So let's get into the conversation. I'm absolutely delighted to welcome both Advita and Satnam to the podcast today. So welcome both. Hi. Hello. Great to be here. Brilliant. So let me start off by asking you to introduce yourself and just tell us a little bit about your role and the profile of the organisations you've worked in. So Advita, let's start with you. Hi, Debbie. Great to be here. Uh, My name is Advita, as you said. I recently launched my own business called Comms Rebel at the start of... January this year. So a great time to launch a business during a crisis, which is brilliant. (laughs) I have worked in various different organisations, ranging from education, the NHS, the aviation industry, and most recently the nuclear industry. All my career actually within internal comms, I've always worked with a remote workforce. And what I mean by remote are people that don't have regular access to emails or uh, laptops or or desktop computers who are operational uh, or customer facing roles. Yeah okay that's a helpful definition thanks Advita. And Satnam how about you? Hi Debbie Um, I'm Satnam Kaur I'm the head of internal comms at the Priory Group. I've previously worked in a range of sectors including finance, higher education, utilities and the police. Um, My experience of communicating with remote workers has primarily been gained in the last 15 months. Um, At Priory Group we have 23,000 colleagues and most of them are frontline staff so they work in our hospitals, our care homes and our schools and they don't have access to desktops, as, as the beta was saying. Between the two of you, what an amazing breadth of experience you're bringing to this podcast, which is brilliant. So yeah, thank you both again for agreeing to talk about this today. Obviously, at the moment in the UK, we're observing the restrictions of social distancing. But before that happened, let's go back into the past and explore a little bit about your experience of communicating with remote workers in the past so we can compare that with how things are today. So what were the key things you did to keep your remote workers connected previously? The things that we did were the general things. We don't have a fancy internet and we don't have an EFN, an enterprise social network. So some of the things we do are fairly basic. So we have, um, for example, a weekly brief with calls to action, which is emailed out and then cascaded through line managers or through the people who do have emails. But it takes about six weeks to be read because obviously not everyone has access to a desktop, so they'll read it as and when they can. Um, we also have a monthly newsletter as well. And then in between, we have an intranet 
and we write briefs for our managers uh, when there's something very important to share out. So it was very email sort of based comms. Similar to Satnam, exactly what she said, you know, we had emails, uh, email featured very heavily in in some of the organisations that I worked in. But bearing in mind that a lot of our colleagues didn't have access to email. So we were, again, dependent on the line managers to print these emails off, read it out in their team briefing. So face-to-face communications is quite a big opportunity and channel in, in, in the businesses that I've worked in. So line manager comms, which is always an area that most people kind of struggle with, and it's still not perfect. And there's still lots of, you know, discussions in various different events and conferences and online conferences that we're having now about how can we equip our line managers to have these kind of conversations where internal comms are quite reliant on them to do that for us. So face-to-face definitely was one of our probably most popular channel uh, when it comes to communicating with our remote workers in, in the organisations that I've worked in in the past. Yeah, okay. And and it's interesting, um, Satnam, that you said that the weekly brief sometimes took up to six weeks to be read. I guess it's that time lag, that time delay that sometimes you don't realise happens. And, you know, what could you do to sort of overcome that time lag if you've got information that you know is really urgent? So obviously at the moment with coronavirus, the information is moving so fast that what you tell people on Monday may have changed by the Friday. So every day we have um, an FAQ document, a frequently asked questions document with all the questions covering guidance on so many, you know, all the aspects of coronavirus. And then we upload that onto the internet every day at 12 o'clock at the same time. So it's there, it's accessible, it can be printed, we've added to notice boards, it's print friendly. So that's one of the ways we're trying to combat the sort of the lag. But we know there still is a lag, but it's just it's giving people the information that they need at the relevant point in time. Yeah, absolutely. And and it's led us on to the next part of that question, really, which is how things have changed now. So I'm guessing that the amount of remote workers you've got now has increased because of social distancing and that the profile of those workers has changed slightly as well. So you've now got a different audience group in that remote working category. So how have things changed? I think the... The point about audiences is so important. We've got, we have got people at home for the first time in some cases, but they all have different needs. So we might have people who are home alone, we might have people with their three kids and their partners. So everyone's got different needs. But one of the main focuses at the moment is well-being. So it's about giving them the resources to be able to look after themselves, look after their families, um, engage their families. You know, when you've got two or three kids at home, it can be so difficult to keep them entertained while you're trying to do your day job. So they're the sorts of comms that we're sending out at the moment. Um, we, we don't have a lot of ways to tailor our comms, unfortunately, but what we do have is lists of who's at home so we can we can tailor that way to an extent. A lot of remote workers are generally operational or frontline who have never really had the opportunity to work from home or the roles can't be worked from home. So some have been, some some remote workers are still working and, and practicing social distancing, which is a new, you know, there's so many new terminologies coming out of this crisis and people are trying to understand what it means for them and as Satnam said the ones who can work from home is trying to give them the tools and the support that they need to get them through the day really you know more than anything else and how can we support the the guys who are at home who are dealing with other personal stuff as well you know like Satnam said you've got young families and you've got elderly parents and you've got to put your shopping in at the same time you can go for your one walk a day you want to make sure that people are not struggling and have a, an opportunity to speak out to others, you know, looking after their mental and physical well-being. The, the level of noise and information and 
stuff that's out there externally at the moment, you know, on social and on the news, it can be quite anxiety ridden. Um, so as, as businesses, you know, we've, we've all of a sudden been thrown into this kind of real life situation where mental health is not just a, a word that you just kind of throw about once a year when it's a mental health awareness month. It's actually quite a serious thing that we need to all kind of focus on. So a lot of attention I've noticed has been looking at mental health and looking at physical well-being and lots of internal comms and businesses as promoting and communicating yoga sessions and mindfulness and how to be aware of your surroundings and, you know, having boundaries in place. So that's definitely, I've seen a shift. So it's not just lip service anymore. In some organisations, when it comes to mental health, it's actually taken quite a serious step uh, into making sure that colleagues are still feeling connected organizations got some kind of responsibility for them to make sure that they're doing okay yeah that's really interesting so have either of you received any feedback back from the workforces the colleague groups that you've been working with in terms of how they are coping now with this increasingly remote way of working yeah so we've we have a coronavirus pulse survey some of them have been really positive some of them obviously less so but i think what people are finding useful is the fact that senior leaders are communicating to them. So our group HR director has written to everyone who's self-isolating and everyone working from home, different emails with different advice and, and guidance. But also the, the FAQs that I mentioned have been really well received because it's having that information that they need and um, up-to-date information that they need um, and that they can apply on site. So that's been good. And also we've had anecdotal feedback from the line managers and on LinkedIn as well. Quite a lot of our, our colleagues have posted that they're so proud to be working for Parry because of the way we're handling things. That's amazing. That's really brilliant feedback. Yeah. And do you know what's been really interesting is the, you know, we've always spoken about internal communicators not being taken seriously enough by leaders. And we've always kind of been the poor cousins or poor relations to PR and external comms. Over the last probably four weeks or so, internal comms has really, you know, shifted in perception with senior leaders. And seeing the feedback coming in from chief execs and senior ex-co members has been absolutely mind-blowing to, to actually finally realise the importance of having a good internal comms team in place and the work that we actually do bring to an organisation. So that's been quite heartwarming to see, actually, and seeing everyone's reactions on, you know, the feedback and the conversations I've had with different communicators uh, around the globe, in fact, uh, and the reaction that they've had from their leadership team has been quite nice to see and especially after you know so many years of talking about the importance of comms and how we can add value in the business and how we can make things a little bit easier for some of our leaders to communicate and we've finally shown our worth so that you know I don't want to make the crisis seem like it's great for comms in that way but it really has you know if we're looking at the benefits a little bit comms has definitely seen a shift in perception internal comms in particular. I think that will be a a lasting positive effect also. I hope it will. I really hope so, yeah. So Satnam, you talked about the fact that one of the things that's working really well for your workforce is that they're getting to hear from senior leaders. Advita, you just mentioned that what you feel is coming through really clearly is how leaders appreciate how adept internal communicators are at helping them to communicate. So just to, to join those two things together... What are the best ways in which we as communicators can support our leaders, so senior leaders or line managers, to put them in a position where they're communicating more effectively? For, for us, I mean, we've got a brilliant senior team at Priory and they're willing to basically do what we ask them. So it's about feeling what your organisation needs. And, you know, we're such a huge organisation. So to have some senior leaders who are very visible, you know, who are spokespeople for their division, 
and who go around sites and are known around sites, it's really important for them to lead from the front and to, to say how they're coping with things, to share resources, to thank colleagues for what they're doing, because everyone's doing an incredible job. Um, and that's what our leaders are doing at the moment. So they're totally break out of their comfort zone. We've got leaders doing videos at home, like without us for the first time. And yes, we'll edit them, but you know, they have to do things on their own a lot more, but they're doing them and that's that's brilliant. We've also got them writing blogs, we've got them taking photos before they go for a run, you know, and the ways that they're coping with with the situation at the moment, just to show that they're humans and that they can relate to what's going on. That's a brilliant idea. I hope that will be a lasting effect as well in the future, that that sharing of human level information um, will continue, that really good role modelling. That's super. How about you, Avita? Do you have any tips for that? I think one of the main things that we need to work with our leaders is is just giving them the tools to do to do the job properly. You know, so a lot of when I've spoken to a lot of people managers and line managers and leaders, you know, across the organisation, is they it's not like they don't want to communicate. It's because they just don't know how or what to say, Uh, and they often struggle with with firstly in terms of their kind of vulnerability for one thing. So they don't want to put themselves on the spot without having all the information available to them because they don't want to look like idiots, to be frank. So what we can do as internal comms is just make sure that our leaders have their tools, have the information that they need, feel comfortable in what they're saying, understanding how they kind of approach comms, you know, and it varies leader to leader. Some leaders want a lot of information. They want to know the ins and outs of everything. You know, other leaders just want a couple of bullets and, and sort of highlights and they like to ad lib, you know, bits and bits and pieces in there. So just being aware of that kind of mentality of our leaders and what they want and need and giving them the kind of resources to do that properly as well. Because the last thing you want is leaders coming back saying, oh, I didn't know what to say, so I didn't say anything at all, or I wasn't quite sure how, how to message that. Or I, and the other thing that I've noticed is that some people don't like to get difficult questions or even ask those kind of questions because they just don't have the confidence to respond properly. So having toolkits available that's easily accessible for leaders on, on their intranet sites, or if you've got a, if you're lucky enough to have an you know, ESN to put it on there, like a thread for leaders that they can also support each other with as well. So that's, you know, that's one of my big tips is that if you're an internal communicator who's got quite a large leadership network, they're making sure that they've got easy access to the information that they need and you're not overwhelming them, sorry, with information, but also just giving the right level so they can communicate effectively to their teams. I think that's an excellent point you made at the end there about, you know, trying to avoid overwhelm, but also making sure, you know, that they've got the right level of information they need to to tackle because when you are face to face with people you have to be able to respond don't you to a multiple variety of circumstances that they raise so you know it's yeah. very difficult to get that balance right I think yeah and the one thing to remember is that you know face to face is hard enough you know but at least you can tell body language you can see the reaction you can see the whites of their eyes and you can see how they're reacting to you speaking to them on the phone or even through video conferencing it's so much harder for leaders to kind of understand whether their teammates have taken that information on board and if they're okay and with all you know and if you think about the some of the terrible news that they're going to have to share and some family members are going to be impacted quite heavily with coronavirus and and having that kind of dealing with, you know, horrible situations such as, you know, God forbid, death in the family or a member being diagnosed with it. But then you've got a leader who's trying to give them the updates from the organisation and making sure that they're okay. And you can't tell on the phone if they're listening or not listening. And so just making sure that everyone is feeling that they have enough support which goes back to our mental well-being conversation earlier on and that's why it's so important that it isn't just lip service and we are in a very unusual 
circumstance at the moment with a lot of uncertainty. I think that's absolutely true. And interestingly, you touched on leaders maybe being in a position of having to share, give or listen to really bad news. Have either of you given your leaders any specific guidance about dealing with those sorts of situations? Yeah, I have. Yeah. So it's been one of the key topics for some of my clients in terms of what do we do when we need to communicate a death in the in the business such a difficult topic to talk about and to communicate and especially when it's, it's such so topical it's not you know we've all had to I'm assuming that most of our communicators who are listening in on this podcast have probably had to communicate a, a bereavement in the organization of a, of a teammate who has passed away from you know whatever cause but coronavirus is a completely different kettle of fish and there's different things that we need to take in consideration when we're communicating a death you know in terms of do the family want that communicated out there so you still have to consider that you know and the sensitivities around that you have to think about the people that they've worked with making sure that you're you, you tell them where you can over the telephone or face-to-face if that if that's possible in terms of virtual face-to-face so they're not getting that shock you know when the email comes in yeah. emails have got to consider legalities around communicating a death because you can't really tell people what that person passed away from until you get the confirmation from either the family or the coroner but there are other things going on in in the world at the moment that isn't coronavirus related and people are passing away sadly from other things as well So making the assumption that that individual passed away from coronavirus can be detriment to what you're trying to do. So just being aware of these little bits and pieces that you might need to think about before you communicate a death. One thing I highly suggest and recommend is that you work with your HR team when you when you're doing this, because ultimately they will have all the guidelines and policies and procedures in place on how to do this properly. And if they don't, then you need to work together to create one and create a process that's quite easy to understand. So you can send this on to leaders so they know what to follow and how to follow it. And it isn't speculation or gossip, because that is the last thing that you need, you know, when it's somebody who's who's part of the family, part of the, the organisation, the part of the family. And it is difficult when you've got social media overtaking some of the news, you know, because a lot of people will probably share this on Facebook or on Twitter. If your friend's out of work with this individual, you might hear before everybody else what's happened. Uh, and just making sure that you have the, you know, if you've got a process in place and you've got the right sign off before any, you know, before you have to do any of this kind of communication, then it just makes things a little bit easier when you're in a very stressful environment and you're not kind of doing knee jerky and not being led just by emotions. And Debbie, just to add to that, there's some really good toolkits like on the Mind website for line managers about, you know, how to communicate difficult information, how to deal with the mental health of your team and your colleagues. Um, so there is information out there. There's a lot, but that Mind stuff is particularly good and particularly um, useful for line managers. That's a really good tip, actually. And do you both share external resources like that with your colleague group? We definitely do. We do a bit of both because obviously we're priory, so we have in-house experts. So we've been sharing the in-house advice about how to deal with stress, anxiety, how to keep calm from our priory experts. We also curate the external resources and we'll check them with our experts and then share them out. So, you know, we're giving people things tried and tested rather than just, you know, the numerous resources out there. Yeah, and I agree with Satnam, you know, it's really important if you are sharing external resources that it's officially, it's official, sorry, and it's from a trusted site. Because people are trying to be helpful and they've created different 
blogs and posts and they've got the repeating stuff like that. But when you're communicating something as sensitive as coronavirus and death related to it, then you need to make sure that, well, everything to do with this crisis, it has to come from a trusted site and a trusted source because it's, you know, and making sure, and that's, and I would say that's our responsibility as communicators, that we are double checking our source and making sure that it is from a trusted person or a trusted site because the last thing you need is sending something out for advice and it's completely wrong or it's just someone's opinion of what you should be and not actually, you know, proper guidance. Yeah, absolutely. So looking back across the experience you've had recently then of keeping your workforce connected while they're remote, what would you say are the key highs and the key lows of that experience? In terms of highs, it's definitely been the connectivity between different people and make, and, and seeing the colleagues come together over, over something that the they can relate to together. The other thing that I've noticed a lot shifting is people are getting to know each other a bit better because, you know, when you're on a video call, you see their kind of life around them. So you might see children coming into the shop, you know, people are showing their cats and dogs or they're describing what they're eating for lunch and you can see what's going on, you know, in the video thing and people are in their homes and it's a really personal space and it's quite an intrusion really. So it'll be quite interesting to see how this kind of pans out over the next few months. But, you know, you're allowing people into your home when you do video conferencing and when you're sitting at home and on the phone, it's a completely different outset than if you're sat in an office in your kind of suit. Uh, having a conversation and your and your and your perception changes a little bit. So seeing that connectivity and people actually trusting each other a little bit more, and I've I've definitely seen a shift in that. The trust element has definitely increased in some of my kind of clients and colleagues that I've spoken to over the last few weeks. And there's this camaraderie between people which I've really kind of appreciated over the last few weeks. And you just something that was always kind of there bubbling away but the care and the kindness that we are showing each other especially in the communications world is just absolutely mind-blowing and it's it's such a brilliant community to be part of at at the moment and if we're talking about I mean lows I suppose again a little bit on this whole the boundaries bit again this people are not switching off you know it's a 24-7 operation for some people and they are merging into their personal space and talking about they're talking about what's going on all the time and they're not allowing themselves to switch off or they're not being allowed to switch off. And if you don't set those kind of boundaries in place, then people will continuously expect you just to be there for them all the time. Because let's face it, you know, everyone knows you're not going anywhere. You know, we're at home, most of us at home all the time. We're not going on holidays. We're not going to the cinema. We're not going to restaurants out to eat. We're not meeting friends. You know, we're not doing those things that we may have done when we weren't as, as connected as we were. So people's expectation of you being just there for them 24-7 is, is, is shifting a little bit. And some people can take advantage of that. So I had that's a little bit of a low in terms of workforce communications, people working from home and making sure that those boundaries are in place so you don't, you're not constantly thinking about work 24-7, even though it's really easy to do that. So definitely one of the highs for me has been how our colleagues have sort of pulled together to one both on sites to make sure that our service users have a really positive experience and try and keep their normal life as keep their lives as normal as possible, despite all the many, many challenges they're facing. And then from a comms point of view, the fact that we can contact so many different teams and they will give us the information that we need instantly, you know, they've all so helpful we all understand the importance of communicating this information out so it's just been really everyone's so busy but everyone's so willing to help each other and uh, you know for me that's been a massive massive positive I think in terms of the lows 
it has been a little bit overwhelming at times just because of the volume of information we have to deal with, the type of information we have to deal with. And while that might be okay if you're an experienced internal comms communicator and there might be junior members of your team, you know, this might be the first time they're dealing with this sort of stuff and they might have come from a different sector. So it's really, really important just to check in on your team to make sure they're okay and, you know, to help them where they're not and to make sure they've got a support network as well. Um, and also, like it be said, just to give them the time just to switch off so that they can sort of recharge their batteries and keep on going. Absolutely. That's a brilliant point. And I'm really glad you brought it up. Let's try and unpack some good advice about those lows, because I think, you know, what I'm hearing is this issue with boundaries and the fact people expect you to respond to them immediately because they know you can't go anywhere. How do we deal with that? And also, how do we try to take care of the health and the mental well-being of people who are in communications and in our teams? So let's start with the first one. What tips have you got for people about boundary setting? I think it's really important to ask people, you know, when they need things and, and to make it clear that you can't always respond immediately. But the other thing, I think definitely priority, it's not so much expectation that you respond, but it's the expectation you probably put on yourself that, you know, you want to be responsive. You want to make sure that you're you're dealing with things as quickly as possible. So it's just having something within inside yourself to sort of step back and, and create your own boundaries as well. I completely agree with Satnam. I think having having that kind of verbal contract really with your teams to say, you know, if we're talking about your own kind of boundaries, what I've seen practical tip that I've seen work really well is when people write at the bottom of their signature strip on their emails to say, you know, I'm emailing you now, but I don't expect you to respond. I'm just emailing because it suits me and my hours. And we have to take in, you know, on board that some people may want to email at six o'clock in the morning because that's when their kids are asleep but making sure that other people know that they don't expect that response at six in the morning is really important and just having that clear verbal contract with each other even even verbal if you want to write it down as an organization as a bit of a guideline when that comes from a senior business leader to say you know it's okay for you not to work uh, at six in the morning if you don't want to and it's okay for you to work until 10 at night if that suits you but just make sure that you put time in for rest and you have you get some fresh air as and when you need to and some top tips around well-being. You know, having that reassurance from a senior leader in your organisation helps and can go quite far with some people. But practicalities, you know, having that contract with your with your business and having it with your own team, what's acceptable, what isn't acceptable, it, it goes a lot. And having those honest conversations. So if somebody is pushing it a little bit and asking, you know, expecting a, a, a a response straight away or expecting you to pick up your telephone within five five seconds or five rings or whatever just have that conversation with them and have that you know it's difficult and it can be a bit of a challenge if you're not used to that kind of confrontation if you want to call it that but telling them actually look this is an on and I've got so much going on and you know I will respond to your calls but I'm only doing calls between two and four if you want to ring me then you know that's when my time is there for, you know to have that chat or I can talk to you at you know before 10 in the morning before the kids have their break or before I have to go and do the shopping for my parents or just if you set those boundaries and have those conversations then it'll make things so much easier further down the line and people know people are aware because what you don't know you don't know and some people just continue as because that's that's the way it is they've got no children so they can work 24 7 and that's absolutely fine for them but other people may have those commitments so just set those boundaries have those difficult conversations and make people aware of what's acceptable and what isn't acceptable yeah that's a really fair comment and I think it's hard enough isn't it when you're in the same space all the time 
for yourself to feel like this is time when I'm at work, this is time when I can relax. So if that then gets broken down by people expecting you to pull on the time you've set for relaxation to work all of the time, it's very, very hard to keep to keep those um, boundaries from blurring for yourself. Yeah, yeah. And it's for leaders to and line managers and people managers to also understand that not all of their teammates will be working the hours that they would have done if they're in an office. And just being conscious of that, you know, so if you're working with a team of 10, 12, 15 people, even more, or even, you know, fewer than that, it doesn't really matter. But just being consciously aware that not they're not going to be doing the nine to five that they used to do when they were in the office. Uh, and, and just being conscious of that. And even if it comes to doing something as simple as writing it down on a spreadsheet, just so you know, and it's clear, so you know that, you know, Karen has to do homeschooling for her children until one o'clock until a partner takes over or you know Derek has to go and get shopping for his mum or whatever you know you're just writing it down those simple things that can make your life as a people manager much easier than having to remember because you again you've got your own life to lead as well and you've got other commitments and stuff and it can be overwhelming as I said before as Satnam mentioned you know the level of information that you need to be aware of as well so there's nothing wrong with keeping a little spreadsheet with just those kind of top tips and times and all that kind of stuff in there and that leads us back to Satnam's point which I thought was excellent about taking care of the people in your team and being aware of the intensity level of the work that we're all engaged with at the moment so I think there's something about um, being on back-to-back calls for a while where it's video conferencing and you're dealing with really serious topics all of the time that's a very intense workload to impose on somebody so what can we do to take care of ourselves as communicators and and importantly, to take care of the other people in our team? I think practically, I mean, it's not rocket science, but practically what I do in my team, for example, is we have a, a call every day. It's just a half an hour call where we talk about the things we would talk about in the office. So whether that's what we watched on Netflix, what we ate, you know, our dogs or cats or kids, it's those sorts of conversations. And then we have a Zoom and video call every Friday where we might dress in fancy dress. We've not yet, but we could. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and doing kind of fun things like that. So and also just reminding them, I have one-to-ones with my team as well regularly, just reminding them to sort of take exercise, to check in how they're doing. Again, there's some great tools for this. There's um, like Mind have released a, a wellbeing action plan where you go through an action plan with your team to understand, you know, where their mental health is, like what triggers it, what they need, if they have a support network. It isn't rocket science, it's just about checking in with your team and, and being human and no, just making sure that they're okay. Oh, that sounds brilliant. And I will put a link to the Mind resources in the show notes for the podcast. So thank you for that, Satnam. Any tips from you, Advita, about how to take care of people and their, their mental health during this time? I think, you know, Satnam nailed it there. You know, having those regular conversations and making sure that people have time to talk about things, office banter, if you want to say that, you know, on the phone. Because you do, I, you know, I miss it so much in having those kitchen conversations while you're making a cup of tea or you know when you walk into the canteen and you're having a chit chat with some colleagues and just about nothing you know and it's just so important to have those kind of water cooler conversations if you want to call them that and having a a space to do that what Satnam said on a on a weekly basis or daily basis or whatever fits in with you know what your team want really it's, it's so important and in not being just kind of you know all doom and gloom because this is not a, a spring it's it's a marathon and we just don't know when this is going to end and what it means. And the future is who knows what the future is going to bring. So having that space to have those conversations, allowing people to share 
you know, what they've watched on Netflix or what they've watched on Amazon Prime and or what activity or what workout they've done and talking about Joe Wicks's, you know, hair and just different things <laughs> like that. Just lightens the mood a bit and just makes things a little bit more kind of, you know, easier to kind of get through the day on. And so I, I love what Satnam said, you know, having those daily chats and a Friday Zoom call and fancy dress is something I'm thinking about now. So maybe I can wear like a little princess outfit and achieve my inner Disney dream by wearing Mickey Mouse ears or something the next Zoom calls that I do. I think it's fab. And anything that brings a smile, right, to people's faces, that's that's quite important. Yeah, brilliant. Thank you for sharing that, both of you. Really, really helpful. So we've touched quite a lot on how people are viewing internal communications and internal communicators differently um, at this time. And I guess how it's put a focus on how important our role is and the expertise that we can provide. So when social distancing does finally come to an end, where do you think internal communicators will stand and what will we all have learned from this experience? In my organisation, one of the things that like we do sit at that top table, so we have a goal command at Priory who are dealing with the coronavirus and we are part of that team along with the quality team, legal, board members, Every day we have a call, we go through the latest guidance, we talk about issues and then, you know, we can be strategic in our guidance and our support to to the organisation. And I think after this, this is all over, I think that will continue because, you know, we've proven that we that we should have a slot at that top table and, and the sort of value we can add to the business as well especially during a very, very difficult time. I completely agree with Satnam. You know, I think hopefully internal communicators will be brought in right at the beginning of conversations now rather than halfway through or at the end when things start going a bit wrong, like we've always kind of, you know, brought in on. And we're actually part of that chat. And I don't think you need to have that regular seat at the board table but having that open invitation to come and have that conversation as and when needed is more important, I think just changing having that opportunity that we have that we can bring something of value add in the business i think that's dem- i think that's quite clearly been demonstrated over the last few weeks how how much internal comms um, can mean to an organization and if we take in consideration some of those organizations that we've read about and cringed about about some of the comms that they've communicated you know internally that's leaked externally it just makes you think that you know what is going on with their internal comms at the moment and what advice are they giving and the organizations that I've seen have done really well with their comms and people are really applauding them for doing some good work with their employees you know and I've seen where their comms has leaked you can see the, the shift in I think a crisis can really determine how a leader can come across in a business and internal comms can play quite a big part in that. And we shift now, I hope, into more of a trusted advisor space. So we're advising our leaders with what's what's the right thing to do morally and ethically as well. And I think that was potentially missing in some organisations with internal comms and leaders may have not seen uh, internal comms as that kind of resource or trusted voice. Uh, and I think that has definitely, you know, shifted. And I hope, I really do hope that it continues. And, and those internal comms individuals who are struggling to get their voice heard in their business has now finally shifted for them and, and people are listening to what they have to say. Yeah, yeah I think we humanise the response. So there's a lot of information that we are, like, like I said, we're creating that information. We are making sure that the right people are saying, you know, the things, the messages that they should be saying. We're communicating things to the right channels in the right way. So I think we've definitely, we have a value and I think we're showing that at the moment. Yeah, 
and we're asking the questions right so we're asking leaders like is that are you sure you want to say that like, i'm not sure that's going to work and this is how it's going to you know this is how people are going to take this at the moment so let's not say it this way you may want to do a video message it comes better than potentially writing a cold email and we're giving that advice and guidance because all these years we've grafted to understand our organization and understand people it's finally being recognized and I think you know as Satnam said it's our potential and, and not even potential but our worth is it's definitely being embraced I think so long may it continue absolutely yeah absolutely do you have one parting thought or one piece of advice that you'd really like to pass on to your friends and colleagues in internal communications for me, it would be very much about the importance of um, looking after yourself and looking after your team. You're at the heart of this crisis and you need to be checking in, as I said, with everyone, making sure that you have the resources and the tools to be able to support your team and also taking a little bit of time out for yourself as well. And often, um, like when I have a bit of downtime, like, you know, when I'm playing Lego with my child, for example, we'll have thoughts, you know, about work and they're pretty good ones. So it's good to have that downtime and to take a little bit of time out the one tip i think as well as that now which is great you know looking after yourselves but also don't be scared of having those difficult conversations calling people out if something isn't right and this isn't the time now to be fearful of saying to somebody actually that's misinformation or that's fake news i've got numerous whatsapp groups where people are sharing not maliciously but they're sharing what they think is is right is 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 true news if you want to call it that you know and sharing remedies on how to cure coronavirus or you know what somebody some leader has said in some in some country somewhere about UK and things like that which is just all fake news and I think it's our role now as communicators and internal communicators to call it out and not fear calling out and saying actually this isn't true well where's the source that's that's come from and the same with our leadership team and having the confidence to say to them actually that isn't the right thing to do just not being scared to do that and just have those difficult conversations as and when you need to have them. Thank you. Two brilliant tips. We've mentioned quite a few really helpful resources during the course of the conversation. Are there any that you would advise other internal communicators turn to? Yeah, so for me, um, definitely the Mind website is fun to look at. There's lots of resources on there for communicators, for line managers, for employees as well. So yeah, we'll share that link. And for me, I am absolutely loving the work that CIPR are doing at the moment. So they've got a whole host of webinars and resources available. CIPR Health have done uh, lots of mental health toolkits that you can use. If you're a member of CIPR, you can also access their 24-7 hotline, mental health hotline, which is absolutely amazing. That's in partnership with iProvision. So definitely check that out if you're a member. If anybody else is looking for some more information, um, then feel free to contact me via LinkedIn. My DMs are always open on there as well. That's perfect. Thank you so much. That's been a really helpful conversation and I'm very grateful that you shared all that insight today. So thanks, Advita and Satnam. Thank you both. Thank you, Debbie. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye for now. Thanks, Dan. I'd like to say a huge thank you to Advita and to Satnam for that really interesting conversation and for the wisdom and advice that they shared from all their experience of working with remote teams in a variety of different sectors. I hope you found that helpful. I will put links to the resources they mentioned in the show notes that go along with this episode. And if you want to look those up, please head over to my website, that's peppermintfish.com. Or you can find me on Twitter, I'm at Debbie Aurelius, or on Instagram at PeppermintFishC. 
Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate you and I'm looking forward to bringing you some more conversations soon. Take care until then. Bye-bye for now.